I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. Shayla Miller is my guest on the show today. A native of Cleveland, Ohio, she studied at SAIC in Chicago and at École Nationale Supérieure des Beaux-Arts in Paris before pursuing her MFA at Bard. It was a little strange going to meet Shayla in the same space we'd met at less than a year ago. It was Farah Al-Kasimi's opening at Helena Ann Rather's gallery, and the room was packed. This time, we were in the same space, but it was filled with Shayla's things instead. Stuff for her to work on during her residency she was doing at the gallery. The room had different workstations that were set up, which made sense to me given Shayla's practice. She's a multidisciplinary artist working with photography, film, and music, which she makes into the name Freddie June. As I've gotten more and more into her work, I've discovered that it's the tapestry of it all that makes it so compelling and rich. I was curious to know whether she always worked in that kind of way. When I first started to take art seriously, um, like when I was a teenager and, and I was thinking about photography mainly, I, yeah, I, I, I guess I was trying to approach it in the same way that I'm approaching it now, but didn't really have the language or, or the understanding of being multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary or undisciplined or whatever you would like to call it. But um, I've always been really interested in image making mm-hmm. and, and really trying to push the limits of, of what does it mean to really create an image or, or to look at an image. For the past couple of years, I've really have been trying to think about that in all these different sort of disciplines, mainly in a filmic and um, musical context and bringing those two together because I'm also a singer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the core the core of it really is, is image making. You just said something that, that I, I kind of want to talk about, which is this yeah. idea of like not knowing what you're getting at. Right. We don't talk about that enough. Right. I feel like artists, yeah. we often see these fully formed projects, mm-hmm. bodies of work mm-hmm. that seem, you know, brilliant yeah. and genius. And, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so often making things is so messy and so much about not knowing. Mm. How, do, how do you kind of deal with that? How do you work through that? Mm. I think... And this is what I'm I'm trying to be better at is because I do put a lot of pressure on myself, like I think most artists, in in like trying to understand exactly what the thing is and why you're doing it, right. why it needs to be made. And it's not to say that like you know you should never be thinking about these things, um, because you know when you do make something, you have to understand that that thing will have consequence, and you should be thoughtful about it. But I don't know. I think that um, there is something to be said about just being submissive to the reality that you will never truly understand it completely. Right. Um, And it's really just about, I guess, kind of like an excavation, like just digging at something and and then finding it. Um, Or maybe finding parts of it, not the whole thing. Right. Um, But... I think there are maybe different ways of understanding something. There's like an intellectual sort of understanding and then I think an emotional sort of understanding. And here recently for me, what I've realized, and I think music is what what helped me with that, is I'm more interested in in the emotional understanding or the poetic sort of understanding. Like something makes sense within my body or, or emotionally to me. And 
and I might, might not be able to describe or, or, or fully articulate why it makes sense, but it just, it feels like it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like when you read a poem or, or a certain melody, the way that it's constru- constructed, it, it does something to you and it just kind of confirms like, ah, oh, yeah, like confirms whatever it needs to confirm. Yeah. Once I, I really started to become invested in introducing music um, and singing in my work, that's something that, that really helps me come back to, you know, you, you'll never fully under, understand. And then maybe if you do, you sort of lose interest. Yeah. That's the, that's the irony of it is that, mm-hmm. and then so the next logical step to that thought process is, has to do, I think, with embracing ambiguity or embracing mm-hmm. not knowing because that's what sort of brings you back to it. I think that, right. that, that all kinds of good work has that quality to mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. that you, like, you want to return to it right. over and over. Mm-hmm. And I also think that there's, there's once, you, once you get to one point of understanding, there's going to, something else will arise. If you're truly invested in studying the thing, something else will arise or something may happen to you in your life that will completely you know, alter your position on the thing and so you no longer understand it or you have to consider something else. That is really interesting to me, like having to constantly reconsider or to consider and to study. And it can be kind of, you know, maddening because it, it, um, or really terribly maddening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because there is a sense of like ecstasy of like knowing everything about something, I guess, or or being able to find out about something. But um, yeah, there's also so much joy and and power in just the process of finding out, I think. Right. I feel like sometimes you encounter something that has like parts that you really respond to. And it could just be like a phrase in, in, in a song or a poem, or it could be the part of an image, or it could be like the way someone is just using colors in combination, Mm. or it could be the way that someone puts together something graphically or the Mm. way something is hidden or the, I mean, there are all different kinds of like little things in, in a work that might attract you, but then you sort of don't know what the thing is, Mm -hmm. why or how the thing is kind of working, but you're responding to it. Right. I sort of had that feeling, you know, there's just one piece you have called the echo that sort of really gives me that feeling because there's some, and there's there's a lot that I love about that piece mm-hmm. in that you're talking you're speaking about something that is so personal and so out of the everyday maybe. Mm. It's one that I've gone back to over and over to mm. look at and watch. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you could just talk about how that one kind of came to be. Yeah, so that short film came from at first I was um writing about my mother and I I was I was doing this ethnographic study about me and my mom Mm -hmm. um but thinking about the epigenetics of trauma um and thinking about how um it just had dawned on me I remember because I I grew up Christian Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom is like a very, you know, hardcore Christian. Um, and I was always, when I was younger and up until that point, up until I made that piece, um, I was very um, just adverse to, to Christianity because it just felt 
or, or going to church. It just felt very stifling. And it was just because my mother, w- I couldn't have a conversation with her without her relating it back to, oh, well, you know, you, would, you need to have a good relationship with the Lord if you had a good relationship with the Lord or a church or, you know, you wouldn't have these issues. Mm-hmm. And for a while, it just felt like, you know, it felt very dismissive. But I remember, you know, years ago, right before I made that, that, that work and started thinking about that was that, you know, my mother is actually kind of saying the same things that I am in terms of survival and, and thinking about survival. It's just, this is her, this is the language that she's found that works for her. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that she's being dismissive. It's just that I wasn't, that maybe I was being dismissive and not really understanding that she was speaking to me in a different language. And then once I realized that, I, I, I think I also kind of um, uh, just became a bit more spiritual myself, which also kind of gave me a little bit more understanding. Um, so that's where it all started so with the ethnographic study. And so I was, I was studying both my mother's behavior and mine. And something that I had noticed was that for years, not so much here recently, but for years, I would wake up in the morning and have like just little tiny scrapes all over my body, like maybe just one here on my arm or on my thigh. Hmm. And, um, you know, just speaking to what we were just talking about, about not understanding a thing, that was something that I I really didn't understand. And so um, in that that piece, I guess we just was kind of investigating myself in a, in a, in a few, in different parts of myself, like investigating my, my nails and my nails relationship to my skin. Um, and then also just kind of investigating my emotional well-being, I guess, and, and coming up with, um, um, these, these answers to these questions that I, 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 and I still don't believe to be absolute. Um, but they still gave me comfort, like that whole process gave me comfort, like the fact that I was paying attention to it and asking these questions, and then from there um, trying to come up with some sort of understanding. Right. And both a, like a sort of poetic understanding um, and, yeah, just a, a pure understanding, of, a practical, I guess, understanding. Mm. Mm-hmm. How do you write? Um, I write, I approach writing in a few different ways. Um, I consistently journal. So every day I kind of write um, about what I've seen, what I'm feeling, what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and from, and that sort of writing really helps me with poetry or um, I really have been loving writing monologues and, and coming up with characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then you go through your writing and you edit yeah, I, I will often revisit my journal entries mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll have like poetic notes, like I'll think of a line or I'll, I'll think of a combination of words that, that feel appropriate for whatever I may be feeling or thinking at the time. And then over time, it, maybe just over a few days or a few weeks, it'll start to make sense to me. Playing with those words or those phrases? Playing with the phrases, um, but but really like taking the time to think about okay, what is it that I'm 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 feeling, and 
um, and just very basically, let me just think about that and write that and how that, the experience of whatever, depression, anxiety, being in love, um, what does that do to me and my body? And then from there, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to either turn it into a poem or to turn it into a song or to turn it into an essay. So in the case of the echo, is that how you sort of put that piece together? Is that how you wrote it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I It all started from, yeah, just taking really, really basic um, field notes. Like today I woke up and I had this scratch and the scratch looked like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the day before that, I woke up and the scratch, when I noticed it, it was already bleeding. And then from there, kind of seeing like, oh, there's some, there, there is some poetic connection um, there that I think is really interesting. Um, and then, yeah, just really kind of diving into that, mm. you know. Mm. And how are you thinking about the visual aspect of it? Um, now, for that piece, I, sh- I struggled and, um, and struggled in the same way that I'm struggling today. Because mm-hmm. it, it's... <laughs> um, how do you mean? I think that it, it just, because it's so personal, not to say that um, the work, other work outside of that project and outside of this project isn't personal, I think, it, but it, it's just, um, I don't know. It's a different type of vulnerability or maybe just a different level of vulnerability um, that is a, a bit challenging for me, and so I sometimes just don't, I get so overwhelmed with that that I don't really know how, it'll take me a while to think about what sort of image makes sense to be paired with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, the images sometimes I th- come to me before the writing, and I don't know, but yeah, it is, it is for some reason a bit more challenging for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. This might sound like a funny comment or remark, but one of the things that I really appreciate in a lot of your your video pieces, mm-hmm. brevity. <laughs> They're, for the most part, very succinct, mm. short. Mm-hmm. They hit you, you, you have to consider them, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they're kind of done. And mm. I, I just sort of love that about them. Mm, Do you think you. about that at all? Is that mm. duration? Um, no. No? Not too much. Not not going into it, because um, especially with with filmmaking, a lot of it is is in the editing, like com- like understanding the 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 piece, um, and so it doesn't really become clear to me when things should end until I edit and put things together, mm-hmm. um, and some things just feel more appropriate to be a certain length and, and other things feel more appropriate to be maybe longer or shorter. Mm-hmm. I guess the same, in the same way that I think about music too. Um, mm. But most of my music is so short um, mm-hmm. because of my lack of experience. <laughs> 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 Literally just don't know how to make it longer. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but I feel, no, I, I, feel, I feel like, you know, people often go, sort of go the other way. It's like you want to mm. put more into it because mm-hmm. you want, and you want to stretch it out more to make something more succinct or more, right. or more brief is, um, I don't know, it's a discipline almost in yeah. my head. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. And I guess, you know, 
Um, hmm. That's really, I, I do think about that when I'm like watching other films, like when I'm watching, I feel like in, the rec- in recent years, films are always longer than two hours. I'm like, why does it need to, it does not need to be two hours. I think of runtimes all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess when I'm approaching my own work, I don't really think in, well, I'm pr- I probably am thinking about it, but just it's maybe a little bit more intuitive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not to say that um, things that are longer are, what, unnecessary. Or, I mean, sometimes it, it truly is, mm-hmm. um, or even feels like masturbatory. Um, but sometimes, like, for example, like Chantal Ackerman's um, Jean Diamant, I think, makes sense for it to be that long. And it was intended to be that long I think it's like nearly three hours right um but something like the Irishman that does not need to be almost three hours right so, sorry what a sorry. juxtaposition there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening Marty I'm sorry <laughs> please hire me anyways <laughs> um do you watch a lot of films I go through periods where I do before a while I was I was only concerned with with um tv because mm. um, I'm, I'm really interested in like i guess i do think about brevity because <laughs> i am really, <laughs> really interested in um coming up with a narrative or a world that has to exist in like a certain amount of time or mm-hmm. like thinking about the episode or, or the series or something like that um so yeah, and I think that all started when I had um, discovered a couple of years ago uh, Kathleen Collins, her collection of short stories, which like, changed my whole worldview. Oh, man. I actually just read those. You did? Recently, yeah. Insane. The first story alone, it feels so cinematic, that first story, that where she's just like, um, do you remember it? it? She's kind of talking like a, a movie director on set mm-hmm. and she's like oh the have the light face this way and then uh okay so the scene is yeah and and yeah it it just it feels so cinematic and and not in the way where like just the language is so simple but yet it's so rich like you really are are taken to many different places mm-hmm. um, and made to feel many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I loved losing ground, mm-hmm. but I think it was, I think it was seeing that and then watching this interview that she did probably from about 40 years ago. I mean, she, she passed away pretty young, right? Yeah. In her forties. In her forties. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing interview. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, after watching this, like, Oh man, like she is, yeah, just so smart. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of how she's thinking about film and talking about teaching film. Yeah. I remember her just talking about this idea of teaching film, like looking at language, mm-hmm. like looking at making things by studying and analyzing the language that something yeah. that you've already made is made in. Absolutely. And that's sort of how you develop and, pro- and progress. Mm-hmm. 
That's so funny. So she, wow. So those short stories. Yeah, the short stories. And then have you seen the master class that she did? No. I think it was like, I think it was shortly before she passed away, like maybe in 84, 83. But um, she did a master class, I think at Howard University. It was a, it was an HBCU. Um, and it's absolutely amazing. Like that's that you can just look at that and think about that and that's film school like you don't really in my opinion you don't you don't really need anything else but um she had said quite a few things that i think about often um and because yeah like trying to think about cinema purely from language because she she said something about how like you need you have to journal every single day Mm -hmm. you have to write every single day because that's going to help you understand people first of all you know through your through your language um and then from there you'll understand how to build dialogue and then from there you know you'll understand how to build image um which i thought was really interesting but then she also had talked about she had asked somebody in the crowd you know what's something what's a character that you're thinking about or working on right now and someone had had answered and was like talking about um some a black boy that was was I don't know I think sad or something and she had asked him like why like what is he doing and and um the the students started to to talk about how he was supposed to represent he was going to represent something and then she cut him off and was like you know that way of working where like you're you're thinking of a character to you know represent um like uh, I don't know the struggle of black people and da, 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 da. like that is a myth and a lie because you don't really approach life in that in that sort of way like you don't really think of yourself as a representation of a certain th- you're just a person mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think she had called it like a the mythological realm and you know you don't she was like you don't really you don't talk about or think about truth um or how did she say it i'm really gonna fuck it up um but (laughs) i thought it was i thought it was really um it it really meant a lot to me to to hear something like that like not to approach building a character which i I think it can be applied to many different things outside of filmmaking but not to have something be representational because then it's it's void of any sort of like truth or nuance um and i also think that maybe it's up to the audience or people watching it and how people receive it to then you know discuss if something's going to be representational you know what i mean Mm. i think it's it's different to kind of to go into making a thing saying well this is this is going to be you know Right. Important to the black community because it's doing this and we're saying this and da 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 da. You know, not to say that having those sort of ambitions are wrong, but I don't know. It just feels kind of. It feels. I totally resonate with what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if I'm really kind of getting at the thing that I'm trying to get at. No, I think you really are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But especially, you know, during this time, you know talking about representation it really is kind of can can be so so vacuous because it really does lack nuance representation right 
or at least the conversation around representation these days. Right. Um, Cause if you just think that way in terms of making something, it just becomes, I mean, I think you, you just, just described it perfectly. Then you're sort of not really getting into any interesting nuance or anything or any, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you sort of just stop at the idea of representation, then that's just, mm -hmm. just the idea of that in itself is not, so mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm, not that mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to exist mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. more representation of certain things but mm -hmm. to be thinking about that in terms of making things because mm -hmm. um, there's just so much else yeah. there you know what i mean yeah. like i mean i think uh like for example killer of sheep by charles burnett i think was was and continues to be a really powerful representation of what it was like to be to migrate from the south to watts um during that time in the 60s um and just to be like a um middle class or lower middle class black family trying to make it every day but um just the way in which he focused on the details and the feeling of being like of that experience, um, I think, and and being very specific, I feel like really opened so much room for, you know, more for it to be more than just representational because i was i didn't grow up in watts in the 60s but i still feel something when i when i watch and think about that movie i'm jordan weitzman and you're listening to my conversation with shayla miller that we recorded in new york to find out more about the show and see some more of shayla's work follow us on instagram at magic hour podcast or visit us at magichourpodcast.org. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've been wanting to talk to you about portraiture. Mm -hmm. I feel like so much of your photography is rooted in portraiture. Mm -hmm. Your pictures, they really have a kind of subtlety to them and mm. a nuance to them that is very often... It's very, it's just very striking and beautiful. Thank you. I'm curious about how you approach photographing people. How do you do it? Um, I think now, now I understand, especially in terms of portraiture, I understand how to do it than I, than I did when I was really invested or when it took up more space in my practice when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because for so long, like in the past five years, I was only interested in taking pictures of my, or portraits of my, my, my uh, parents. Mm. Why? Um, because that's kind of where it all started for me. Like with photography, um, like it started in self portraiture and you know, I was, I was incredibly, incredibly shy. Um, 
You were incredibly I, shy. Oh, my I God. I don't, I, I don't know if I'm buying it. <laughs> Great. I don't want you to buy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I was incredibly, incredibly shy when I was younger. So I didn't... I, I did take pictures of other of other people of, of friends, but I didn't feel so confident in it. And my parents were there, and so I would I would take pictures and, and take portraits of them specifically. Yeah. And then it just kind of grew into a bit of an obsession of having an archive of of images of them because I knew because my father was sick my whole life, and so I knew that I was going to lose him pretty young. And I knew I, I, I knew I was going to lose him in the way that I did. Um, and so it really kind of became like, I need to have images, you know, uh, audio recordings, or what I need to have a very robust archive of them so I can have something to hold on to when they when they're gone. Um, and I think f- from there, or because of that, I, I, I I guess I was just approaching it as a, I don't know, I guess, not to say that I wasn't thinking about photography or, because I was thinking about things technically, but at the front of my mind, it was just like, here is this person that I love and I want to hold on to that as much as I can. Like mm-hmm. literally like almost make it as if I'm holding on to something in my hands and will never be able to let it go. So, um I think for me that it was like a, a practice of love or a practice of intimacy. And um, I think that is what helps me take portraits of people. I kind of approach it from a place of intimacy um, and I guess being gentle too. I don't know. but um, So how, yeah. do you, how do you decide who you want to photograph now? Well, here recently, um, I mean, after my father passed, um, or really kind of during when he he was, during his health decline, I started to take pictures of my friends, Mm -hmm. um, and then realized, I was like, oh, I like to take pictures of my friends too, um, Mm -hmm. in this sort of way. And I don't know, I just kind of, that... Um, goal of having an archive of the people that I love and the people that I'm I'm with, just extended outward to, yeah, mm. my my friends as well. So Elliot is somebody that I photograph quite a lot. And right, and he's photographed you a lot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's just, um, really to to really to i don't know i guess it it comes from a few different places like you know the love that i may have for this person or or wanting to conserve a, a certain moment or also just a way to to get to know somebody um and then a way to play too cuz take pictures is fun yeah um do you when when you photograph someone do you spend a lot of time with them is it like a is it a long activity or is it, do you take a lot of pictures? Um, because in recent year, ever since I bought a TLR, like four or five years ago, I don't take a lot of pictures because mm-hmm. you only have so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and I also never 
which I sometimes feel really bad about um, and kind of want to do more of it, but I never um, plan to take somebody's portrait. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, my camera's here and you're here. Mm. Um, I sometimes will, like, I try to bring my camera with me um, or some sort of camera with me. Um, but, yeah, I never really, like, make a shoot. Right. It's just like, oh, I'm here with you. And it's part of life. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and because right now I've been taking a lot of, uh, pictures of my friend like I already know them right. so I already kind of know how to um, from you know how to be intimate with them in this sort of way and do you feel that intimacy does it do you feel that it reveals more in a certain way or that or, or allows mm. for more nuance mm. <laughs> I've been using that word a lot today but mm-hmm. does it allow for more the for the potential of more nuance mm. in a picture I feel it can go either way. I feel like there are certain photographers who relish in discomfort. You know, mm. I remember talking to Rosalind Fox Solomon, and she mm. talked about this idea of not wanting people to be comfortable mm. and and <laughs> not knowing them at all, and just mm-hmm. meeting them and you know, mm-hmm. sort of being in and out, or even thinking about someone like Arbus. I mean, you mm. couldn't imagine her knowing her subjects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, mm. if you take someone like I don't know Nan Golden or someone, I mean, yeah. that then. So much of it is about, I don't know, rooted in that relationship or knowing someone for yeah. a lot more in order to be able to make. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I most certainly don't have to know people very well to to take a portrait, but I do. I'm just a sensitive person in general. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I do like Diane Arbus, um, but someone like Bruce Gilden, I like. I I I don't like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, after I bought my TLR, I was obsessed with Vivian Meyer and, um, I started to, I I had a very, very brief stint in street photography and realized that I really did not like it. Mm -hmm. Although I love street photography and I love that, that genre of, of photography, but for me, it's just, I, I can't, um... I don't know. I guess I get. I guess I do get overwhelmed in like the ethics of it, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, and um, I, I, I'm, I, kind of I like approaching image making as a as an exchange. Um, and I also got yelled at a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so as a sensitive yeah. person, I couldn't take it. But I. Um, yeah, I, I, for me, it is kind of vital to, to have a bit of sensitivity in, um, when making an image of someone because I understand that it is like, um, I don't know, to be photographed is a very vulnerable thing. And as a subject, you don't really have that much control over the way that the image is going to come out, truly. Right. Um, and then it becomes an image of you forever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that. And I guess I'm always like afraid of being, um, exploitative. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just try to, I try to 
I don't even, I just, I think that I am just an empathetic person. And because of that, I just approach photography in the way mm-hmm. or image making in the way that I do. Yeah. I kind of like how you keep on going back to this idea of like the permanence of images or mm-hmm. how they stick around or how they form this kind of archive or this document of a certain kind of time and place mm-hmm. and milieu. And you sort of keep on alluding to it. And, and I keep on thinking about some of the video pieces that you've done recently mm-hmm. where I was thinking about how the beauty in some of them is almost exactly how they do do that. Mm. Like there are a couple, um, there are a couple of pieces that you did of Elliot and Giancarlo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're on mm-hmm. Fire Island. Yeah. And there was another one. It was a friend of yours, graduation, yeah. like a stoop graduation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself how, yeah, just they're almost like these, no, I mean, okay, graduation is something or mm-hmm. like taking a trip is, I mean, is mm-hmm. something, but it's like making, deciding to make something out of those things are mm-hmm. these just kind of very um, potentially fleeting moments mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. to have something that will stick around mm-hmm. and form mm-hmm. this part of an archive yeah. that is your own, but also a community's mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. really, yeah, I don't know. It's really beautiful and amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I guess... Because that was also when I was when I was younger, or really what? Because um, I had began creating images, like thinking about them. Because um, I was really obsessed with um, like fashion blogs and and magazines, and and really thinking about the relationship of image and text together, and. Um, I remember from the blog, like the fashion blog world, I ventured out into like the Flickr and Tumblr Mm -hmm. world and I just was so, and continue to be, and which is why I love both looking and making images like that, just seeing images of people's friends. And these, these were, you know, people my age, um, you know, 15, 16, um, just taking pictures of their very normal and boring life or sometimes interesting if they were like Brooklyn teenagers or something. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's just a, it's a particular type of sweetness that I really love to both, you know, um, conserve, uh, moments like that in an image. And then also to like, um, get a sense of that intimacy from looking at images from people that I have, I have no idea who they are. For sure. I mean, I think, I think what you're describing is the ultimate. It's like when you see, um, yeah, I mean, windows into people's lives mm-hmm. seen interestingly or seen yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah, in curious kinds of ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love things that are, that are simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but, incredibly intimate simple but intimate or simple but complex yeah yeah Yeah. yes i guess Uh uh-huh yeah or born out of simplicity yeah yeah but then you know yeah exactly have their own its own set of complexities right um yeah because yeah the quotidian is very dynamic yeah Mm -hmm. i've been thinking a lot lately about how so much of what I love is or or what is 
really interesting is born out of that simplicity mm -hmm. and paying attention to it or yeah. figuring out what to pay attention to in those kind of like simple attractions or curiosities that you have about your everyday existence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is the challenge yeah what do you pay attention to and mm -hmm. you know why do you make something about Right. Little scratch marks on your skin or right. about someone just lying on their bed or about, mm -hmm. you know, a little stoop celebration. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the challenge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess nothing ever really is that simple if you really think about it mm. enough. Martine Sims in the mundane Afrofuturist manifesto had said something about, had said something to that effect of like, but specifically thinking about um, like the black quotidian um, and how, yeah, it truly is just dynamic. And I, I think now that's, that's something that, that really put language to, to what I've been trying to get at for, for so long, mm. um, is that nothing really is ever that simple because yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very, um, like I grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland and lower middle class. My dad was a garbage man. My mother was a administrative assistant and um, we lived in the same house and, but yet there, there just was so much richness there. And it's not to say like I'm a special person, but there's, there's richness in every per person's life. Right. Um, and yeah, just focusing on that and, and having that and studying that and have that be the thing to kind of allow you to understand the world around you, I think is really interesting and, and what I try to do, I guess. Yeah, and rich. Mm -hmm. mm. I keep on looking over to your, the book in front of you. Is that yes. your journal? My little journal. Yeah? Yes. We. Uh, <laughs> oui, uh. Your little red journal. <laughs> Can I ask you how you journal? Well, um, I, 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 last year I was gifted this type of, this um, brand of journal. I used to be very against spending too much money on journals okay um but now i'm obsessed with having a leather journal so now i'm sticking to this mm -hmm. type of journal um and i <laughs> just had to say that up top um but i journal throughout the day um i used to think that it would be helpful to have like a specific time to to write like either as soon as I wake up or at the end of the day, but, and I've tried to do that, but it doesn't really, um, I don't, I don't really like to, to be militant about that. Um, but I do like to be consistent. Um, consistent in that you do it every day. I try to do it every day. Yeah. I really do. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. But sometimes I get overwhelmed by just the practice of writing. So I'll make audio recordings like on my phone. Mm -hmm. Do you have a certain form that you stick to? Do you write about similar things on a on a daily basis? No, I just I just write about anything that I am curious about, what happened in the day, think like moments that I want to remember or return to. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, so it it's it's a combination of. I mean, this is also like how I start my poems as well or thinking about dialogue mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's never i mean there's a, a theme i guess um 
but what's the theme? Um, I think that I just am really, really curious about love, the practice of love, mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah, I, the 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 feeling of love, and I, I think especially after my my father passed, it it really it it really made me kind of understand love in a, in a much more like ex, like I really understood that love is so expansive. Um, so that that's some that's something that I I, I think about all the time. Like I'm, I'm constantly in the pursuit of love, and also just um, like to think about the love that I already have. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time trying to trying to sort that all out, I guess. Um, and then you know, pain too, which you know, pain has a. Um, Takes up a lot of capacity within the room of love. Right. um, uh, Yeah, I mean, so it's those two things. Yeah. Love and pain. (laughs) (laughs) Really kind of like simple. simple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an, just having those things at the back of your mind and then just Mm -hmm. kind of like, going with it mm-hmm, on, a, mm-hmm, on a daily mm-hmm. basis it's such a great practice mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we're sitting here right now mm-hmm. we're in the helena and rather mm-hmm. gallery yes where you're doing a residency at the moment uh-huh, yeah you have all kinds of gear and stuff in here mm-hmm. you have your keyboard your mm-hmm. beautiful white keyboard <laughs> and stool you have a little lighting setup. Mm-hmm. You got some tables with work on it. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to in here? So I've been spending this time to think about my dad. I think that, um, which I've realized I will, will just continue to do. Mm. Um, but because of the pandemic um, and then also the the uprising i both of those things kind of i'm now realizing moved me into uh a new room of mourning for my my father because Mm. i i really start started to understand an experience on a much different level than i've ever experienced before collective grieving and um I think especially during the the summertime, I I really, um, I think it was maybe after Oluwatoyin um, was found dead that I I really um, just started to understand, or not even understand, but really kind of felt this this wave of collective grief that I had never really, saw before and I think it was because it was happening along with me mourning my father so um, I I have been thinking a lot about um, 
I've been thinking a lot about grieving, but specifically grieving as a black person, as a black American person, and having to encounter death at such an exorbitant rate, but especially, you know, I mean, the way that we're experiencing it now, but, and, and what, what, how and when do you properly grieve or mourn Mm -hmm. um, as a black person? And um, I don't know, I just really am, am convinced that there's not enough time afforded to, um, to do that. Because it's just like one after the other, after the other, after yeah. the other. Whether it's you're, you're grieving something um, incredibly close and personal to you, like you know my father or a father or whoever, or, or someone that you've never met. But there is, there is still this feeling of loss. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I've been thinking about that and I've been, I've been trying to, um, I've been thinking about the rage that I feel because of that. Um, and the rage of like, um, feeling as though, um, I think I had got to, you know, in this new position of mourning, I had realized that, um, or not realized, but felt like um, because there's not enough time afforded to black people to grieve that like, oh, Shayla, you should just get over the fact that your dad is dead. Because, you know, dads die. Black dads die all the time. And I, I, I just... When, when that thought or that feeling kind of came over me, I just was just so angry and, and just didn't really know how else to process that than through music. So I, I've, been, I've been trying to, I guess, bring song to the process of grieving. Um, and also, but song in, in both a musical context and a visual context. And I don't really know exactly what I mean by that, but I'm, that's something that I'm trying to sort out. Mm. Um, and, and hoping that me sorting that out will kind of be cathartic, I guess. Um, giving myself some time to really just like grieve and mm. mourn and allow myself to, just allow myself to. Right. Because um, I don't think I was really... I do I do think that, you know, black people are conditioned to just kind of like to not to not do it. Um and because black death is just normalized um to certain people. Definitely not to me. Mm. Um so yeah, that's that's something that I've been I have started to think I'm definitely not going to like stop at you know, at the end of this residency, but it it's um that's what I'm I'm thinking about and trying to sort through. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a pretty good a good place to work from even mm-hmm. though it's a difficult one. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious can we talk about your dad a bit? Of course, I love to talk about my dad. Yeah? Mhm. What what was your what were you guys like? You know, my dad was so funny because he was so incredibly serious cuz he, he grew up in the South, in the 40s, 40s and 50s, and um, was a Vietnam War vet, and um, mm. 
Yeah, I, you know, just came from that generation of black men that that um, really kind of approached family in at family and or just living in, in a in a very sort of like um, I don't know. He just kind of comes from this this um, very traditional, you know, masculine sort of way of living, like black masculine sort of way of living and. Um, wanting to be the the breadwinner and the caretaker of of um, the family and um, doing so in a very very serious very serious way and never really um, spending too much time being vulnerable or emotional. Um, so he yeah he was very serious he was kind of scary but. Um, because he was so serious and 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 really kept himself, but um, I always had a, an affinity um, for my dad, and I think because we both, because I think that I can be a, a um, sort of similar, like um, a bit reserved, especially when I was growing up, and we both were. I can also be very quiet, and I, I just kind of li- I just like to be in the presence of my dad because of that. Um, but it, you know, he was so special because he was so serious most of the time. And so anytime he would do something like allow himself to be a, a little bit emotional, it just felt like such a treat. Mm-hmm. And I remember there are a few moments that I, I return to often when, um, I'm thinking about him. And the other day I had remembered when I don't remember how old I was. I had to be at least like nine or 10. And I also spent a lot of time with my dad because he um when i was born he started to work third shift as a garbage man so he would work in the night and so he would be there during the day Mm. and my mom was was gone working a nine to five um and i remember this one day um he so seriously came to me and he was like you want to go on bike ride and i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i just i i remember just feeling so honored like wow he can ride a bike, first of all, and he wants to go on a bike ride with me. Mm-hmm. And I remember it just was so it just was so special, you know, um, to be the one to receive, you know, um, they just were so rare when he would like open himself up and to be able to be there to witness it and to receive it just was just the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember also another another time which i think was my first memory or my earliest my earliest memory i used to my sister was the first one to take piano lessons and um i was very jealous and i would just like bang on the piano um i don't know why they didn't just put me in lessons but i just would <laughs> bang on the piano and um i did it in a very sort of ser- like i was being very serious about it and not really playful and I remember my dad came up to me and he was like, was that you playing? And I was like, yeah. He was like, wow, that was so good. And I remember just feeling mm. like the world, because he didn't, he didn't do things like that often. Mm. He was not a very emotional person um, or did not like to, he was emotional, but did not like to, to be that way all of the time. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know, we were, we were, we were buddies, um, and uh, yeah, I think in, in, in his last few years, he kind of opened up a little bit more, 
um, as he started to age and, and um, as his health started to decline, I think that kind of naturally made him more vulnerable. But um, yeah, so yeah, he was a very serious type of guy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you what you do with all this material because yeah. yeah yeah no doubt you're gonna bring it out in some kind of interesting and poetic way i hope so i don't know yeah <laughs> you just gotta keep on playing right i just gotta keep on keep on playing <laughs> <laughs> um well thanks so much for doing this with me thank you for inviting me this yeah. has been such a pleasure a real pleasure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was my conversation with Shayla Miller that we recorded in New York. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Crystal Duhamel. Original music in the show by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show, follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast or visit us at magichourpodcast.org. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.